0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey
1: everybody, welcome back to another episode of the journey within podcast. Got Eric Schell tags consultant at Worldwide Trophy Adventures with me today. And we're going to talk everything Montana tags related. Um, and the reason I wanted to do this one, obviously, if anybody's been following me on social media, I, I had a heck of a whitetail hunt in Montana with my good friend, Kevin Burmeister. And Eric was the one that talked me into going here. And it's actually one, if you, if you think Montana, you think the rivers and, and hunting whitetails. and I. If you, when I grew up, you kind of saw a lot of that on TV. So there was this kind of urge for me to go out there and see what it was. And uh, after talking to Eric, he really sold me on it. Next thing you know, we're out there chasing big white tails in Montana. So I've got to say thank you to for getting me out there, Eric. It was a heck of a trip. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I
2: appreciate you having me on, Mark.
1: No problem. Thanks Thanks for coming on. So before we dig into my experience and trip in Montana, i um, Talk, let's let's talk. We're gonna break down Montana by by all the species. Let's talk whitetail first, though. Um, why, if somebody asks you, Eric, why Montana for whitetails? What do you tell them? I think the uniqueness
2: of hunting whitetails in Montana is the number one draw. I mean, you could advocate a lot of different points, but so many of the whitetail hunts that that exist in that eastern southeastern portion of Montana do allow rifle hunters to hunt entirely spot and spot and stock so it really has a western feel even though you're hunting a very familiar animal and it's how many places can you go and hunt on a 80 or a hundred thousand acre private ranch for white tails you don't have to worry about bumping that deer if you bump him he goes in the hills he'll be back later that it's just a completely different experience when we're talking about hunting on such a gigantic landmass and being able to glass them, go after them, not to mention the quality. It's not like we're talking subpar deer either. Montana has some really nice whitetails.
1: Yeah, no. And that was, so when Eric described this trip to me, he, this is one like described it and then I went and experienced it and I called him afterwards and I'm like, everything you described that would happen in this trip was to a T of exactly how it played out for me. And just how you kind of set it right there is it's so unique and different from all the other whitetail hunts that I've done, right? Like I'm not in a tree stand, I'm um, not in a box blind, I'm not in a pop-up. Like you're out and moving, you're glassing, you're covering area. It's, it's like a mule deer hunt or an antelope hunt almost with a rifle. So you're just covering a lot of area as you go. And hunting unpressured whitetails is so, I guess, unfamiliar, right? Because everywhere I've hunted whitetails, besides Saskatchewan, everywhere I've hunted whitetails, they're jumpy, right? Like that's the species of whitetails. They're very skittish. They get a lot of pressure. So you don't get to see them very long. Like you don't see them in an alfalfa field. Well, when we were in Montana, we, I mean, we saw there was a group of 14 bucks that we saw in an alfalfa field that was just bedded down out in the middle. We were on the opposite hill glassing them and they spent most of the day in that alfalfa field. i
2: I agree that's something i've noticed on the big ranches i've been in in montana as well they are some of the most docile whitetails i've ever been around
1: yeah i mean it was just it was so unique it was so kind of refreshing to be able to get there get your spotting scope out start glassing um, looking at the different type of bucks that that were in the field and be like okay we're gonna bounce to the next one and i know you've got a couple different ranches that you're booking booking whitetail guys out of Montana now the one that we hunted on it's 26 miles of river bottom so for all the whitetail hunters let that let that sink in 26 miles of river bottom that we were going and spotting stalking every single day so you'd start on one side and just keep going throughout the day and glassing as you go alfalfa fields cut corn and you'd see deer all over the place and you just keep going until you found that one that you're like that that's it that's that's the one I want to go after what?
2: It, and that's what's so nice is you just keep pushing country. Like the ranch you were on, uh, I forgot the exact acreage, but it is between the deeded and, and landlocked public, it's over a 100,000 acres in yeah. just one
1: mass. Ridiculous. And we're going to talk about elk here moving on, but the elk on that ranch, oh, my goodness. There, there, We saw some bulls that were brought in that were easy in the 370s, and it was just one of those things. Like we saw... Uh, First morning out there, we saw a herd bull with, I don't know, probably 40 or 50 um, cows pushing across. And, I mean, this is just a solid six-by that's in the easy over 350, probably knocking on 360 range that you just, like, again, just there, right? He's not very pressured, and he's just there. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's humbling. Yeah, so it'll spoil a person very quickly, though. So I guess I'll, I'll kind of dig in, tell the tell the story, because I haven't told it on the podcast yet of of Kevin and mine's hunt out there. Um, super easy to get into. We flew from Michigan over to Bozeman, and then it was a couple-hour drive into the ranch the day before rifle started. Um, that first morning went out, and it was super foggy. So we, we kind of lost a little bit of a morning because we could only see probably about 100 to 150 yards. Still ended up seeing probably, I don't know, probably 100 different deer. A um, couple different bucks, couple bucks that were in the the low 130 range. Um, went back, had lunch, went back out that afternoon. In the afternoon, the fog was gone. Um, in the fields that we really wanted to check, that the guide knew that there were deer on, we just couldn't see because of the fog. So those are the ones that we went back to right away. And it was like, as soon as we got to those fields, they were like, "Holy smokes, look at this! They're bucks bedded here. They're bucks bedded here." Um, and we caught, we caught a pretty good buck at the back of the field. And it was one that we we glass, put the spotting scope on and you're like, man, that, that deer is, he's knocking on 150, right? Like that's, and for me that, I mean, I'm never going to pass on a deer in the high one forties. I just haven't hit that point in my life that I'm going to be like, yep, that's not good enough for me. So Kevin was up first. We tried to a big circle around, um, on the backside of the river. Uh, he was he was using a different gun. I had my gun works with me, so he wanted to get a little bit closer. I think if we would have set up for a shot there, it would have been right around the 480-yard mark. Um, we tried to circle around a, a little bit, get him a little bit closer. In um, doing so, the wind swirled on us, and it bumped that deer out of its bed. But this is where you talk about unpressured whitetails. The deer only went a couple hundred yards and then it, that eventually went back out into the alfalfa field and started feeding again. So we had about 45 minutes left to light, did a big circle around to the original side of the field and these fields on the river, they're always these little holes. So you see a deer and then all of a sudden they start feeding and they pop up on the other side and this deer popped back up on the other side. And I think we were slightly over 500 yards when I got set up. And I, I, The shot with my gun works, I feel very confident with. So I got I got set up, waited for that deer to turn broadside and and send it. Next thing you know, my Montana whitetail hunt was all over just like that in the in the first evening. But again, it was it's a deer that's just under one fifty, and like I I just I'm gonna shoot that deer every single day, right? Like even though it was the first day, it was it's just too picture perfect of an experience, like of everything I've seen growing up hunting whitetails in Montana with a rifle. Like this this was it, and it was. uh a perfect experience and a and a great deer and a great trophy um, for me. So then the next the next morning um, we go out and it's the same thing, right? There's 26 miles of river bottom, so it's you just start on one side and you just start glassing all the fields. There's a lot of alfalfa, um, some cut corn, and there's just a variety of food all over the place. Um, this time we were glassing for Kevin and we had actually caught a buck right along the river and instantly knew it was a a big frame, big shooter, great great deer, too good. We got to go after this. By the time we tried to stalk in it, it bumped and ran across a field, and it kind of disappeared on the other side of the field in this this big grass hillside, right? Like you talk about going up in the hills, and this is where it is, like big grass and pines, and that deer went over there. We tried to get over and, and make a cut when I got over there, but couldn't glass it up, so decided to go back to the other side and just say hey we're just going to sit here for a couple hours and glass see if this deer comes back out well as soon as we get to the other side we glass him up instantly you can you can find him we just couldn't see him when you're over there because he was in this little gully and i talked kevin and he he never shot over as far as about ready to say we got him set up at 466 yards with my gunworks rifle and waited for this buck to kind of feed on the hillside we talked him through using the turret um everything like that and he sent it and and let's just say he made his longest shot that he ever had and he instantly ordered up a gunworks as soon as he got home hopefully his wife's not listening but he ordered up a gunworks as soon as as soon as he got home and just like that in in two days we had two great bucks down
0: in montana
2: Uh, yeah, but those are deer you couldn't pass either. No, it's something to be said to go window shopping if that's if that's what you want to do, but it, you know that that can turn around and bite you too if you're not careful.
1: Well, same thing. So we, I mean, the day we left, so we spent that night. In the third day, giant snowstorm came in, right? So you're like, okay. Well, that afternoon, you're not sure exactly what you're going to see because it drops seven inches of snow. And, and like from experience around me that everybody thinks that first snowstorm is going to be so good. But my experience is that first snow, those deer, they don't know what to do for the first couple of days. And then by day three, it's really good. But the first two, it's kind of kind of sketchy. You don't know exactly what's going to go on with the deer. So I felt like I felt we made the, the, the best thing. And there's two deer that we're extremely happy with, right? Like they're getting mounted, they're going on the wall and one of the questions when I got back is what what kind of size, like, well, okay, you're going whitetail hunting over there. What kind of size do you expect? And I'm, my response after seeing it and doing it is if you go to Montana and in, in this ranch, or I know you've got a couple others that are exactly like this, you'll expect multiple shot opportunities on deer between 135 and 155 inches with deer that will be taken bigger than that every year. But you will see multiple deer in the 135 to 155 inch range. So you'll go and if you're by yourself hunting and you've got four days and you're like, weather looks great and I'm going to go see, every day you go out there, I bet you see at least one or two deer in that 135 to 155 range. It's just There's just the, the qualities there and there's not the hunting pressure. So it's not like these deer are getting bumped out. Um, and so forth. You can see all the age generations underneath them, and that the same thing's going to happen next year. The same thing's going to happen the year after that. Uh, we were actually hunting a little bit early in the season. I bet it even gets better when the rut kicks on. Yeah, it did. The last, you know, that mid-November
2: timeframe, the the guys on that ranch were sending me some digiscope pictures of some bucks that were in that one sixty to one seventy-five class that. Lord knows where they were. They were probably out in, you know, some of these areas are twenty to 40,000 acres of pines, pine-covered hills. And those deer can live out there fine. So I'm sure some of those deer were out there and sucked to the river to start rutting.
1: Exactly. Because you got to figure that deer is probably at least five and a half or six and a half years old. So it's not his first rodeo. He's realizing, hey, this... This time of year, I'm going to eat in that field in the middle of the night, and then I'm going to disappear and just bed off in the trees or in the tall grass for the rest of the day and not show myself till it's dark again. And it was like you had that feeling like, man, if we were here three weeks later, like when that rut's hitting, you wouldn't know what you were going to see. And you would see just with the amount of bucks, I bet you saw so many bucks chasing does. So many bucks fighting just because it's so open and you can see it. Like all that stuff happens in Kansas, Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, Ohio. Like it all happens, but it's so vegetated and treed up. You can't see any of it there. You'd be actually able to see it. Oh,
2: yeah. And that's something I was discussing it with a client yesterday who called to tell me about a recent mule deer hunt. That's one of the joys of the West, be it whitetails, mule deer, whatever the case is is being able to actually sit and watch that. Just the odds are higher. You can see bigger Mm -hmm. expanses. Not to say it couldn't happen in a stand in Iowa, but the odds of seeing some of that really unique rut behavior are so much higher when you're in this big open country
1: just so, so much. So that's one, anybody that's listening, we're, I mean, we're going to cover everything in Montana, but for anybody that's listening, if you're looking for a unique whitetail hunt and one that is a high success, high trophy hunt, um, you got to check out Montana, give Erica a call and, and like just being realistic, right? Like I said, a lot of people on whitetail hunts, if you're looking for, if you're a size guy and you're looking for a, a high success, size deer like this is it like think about 150 inch deer like there are lots of places that you can go and hunt and not come home with that so like montana is one of those hidden gems it's a uniquely different type of hunt but you're also going to get a great deer too
2: yeah and same for the the guys looking to archery hunt oh yeah these deer live in an environment and you can start hunting them september 1st with a bow on the summer patterns extremely high success rates and it's a fun hunt you you know you might only hunt the afternoons but the mornings you can go scout you could slip into a stand you can go fishing on the river there's other things to do besides just hunt but the hunting is it's excellent during that September time frame
1: all right, so I want to move on to elk now in Montana. And the only reason being because I saw this, I, I saw the ranch, I saw what's on it. I want you, I want you to talk about elk hunting in Montana, not just where I was at, but all over the state and what you kind of recommend for people. I'm copy. So we'll kind of start off with that eastern portion of Montana, which has be
2: it's begun to get quite a bit of notoriety, and rightfully so. Uh from my perspective, eastern Montana is probably right now the number one producer of trophy elk in the country um the more you dig the more big bulls you find coming out of that part of the world they just don't get the uh the social media attention as, mm-hmm. as much as utah arizona et cetera. it's a different different mindset up there from the locals as well as outfitters overall but in terms of trophy elk hunting it's it's really second to none And we're talking about bulls on the ranch you were on, a couple of these other properties. When I'm talking to a guy, it's a 340 to 360 or better type of hunt. And all of these guys are killing bulls between 380 and 420 every year as well. Like That's
1: that's ridiculous to hear. Your average is 350 to, to 370 and they're killing bulls in the 400s.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, like I said, it, it rivals what you're going to see coming out of some of the best units in, in Utah and Arizona and very well could, I mean, to me, it exceeds almost anywhere you're going to find in New Mexico in that respect. Mm -hmm. It's tough to beat the, the really, the gem in Montana is the archery tags. That's where non-residents have a realistic opportunity to go hunt those really big bulls. Montana does work on a bonus point squared system. So if I have four bonus points, when I enter the draw this next year, they're going to square that 16, add my point for next year, 17. I have 17 names in the half. Okay. So with that system, it's typically going to take a non-resident, you know, you will draw within six years is statistically speaking correct where else can you go hunt really big bulls and not wait 15 or more years that's why i love this this eastern southeastern montana permit elk area hunting because it does not take a lifetime you can draw that tag theoretically you know three years in a row if you're lucky Mm -hmm. but very realistic to say i'm gonna draw this every fifth year and I'm gonna go hunt big bulls with my bow. The rifle tags are extremely, extremely limited for both residents and non-residents in, in all the permit areas in Montana. And that that's also helped with the conservation. The season is a bit later, super limited tags, so you're not hunting them. This year, they happen to be full-blown rut in the latter October. Mm-hmm. in most of eastern Montana. So it was a late rut, which helped the rifle hunts hunters. Most years those bulls are off by themselves. It's, you know, a little bit tougher of a hunt. They still kill giants during the rifle season, but it let some of those bulls slip through the cracks and and get to that, you know, mega giant 410, 420 size range. Yikes. Yikes.
1: So anybody that that's listening that's a, that's a elk hunter, obviously you got call Eric and talk about mon, getting Montana added into your, uh, portfolio. Um, even if you're, even if you're a rifle guy to, to get on the, the list to wait, but especially if you're an archery guy.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I, I feel like we should almost back up a second here and, and unravel the, the Montana, how they handle the elk up there, uh, just to to try to give everybody a a strong perspective mark um when montana awards elk tags they have general areas and then they have permit areas the easiest way to think about it is is the permit areas or call it the more coveted trophy type of tags not to say there's not phenomenal general hunting but generally speaking permit areas are going to offer higher quality hunting in montana you must first apply and receive a general elk or general big game combo tag to be eligible for an elk permit area. So you first get your general, and then immediately after that, they draw in the permit areas. So it is a multi-step process to acquire one of these permit area elk tags in Montana. Okay. Okay. And you're dealing with preference points on the general tag and bonus points on the permit area so you've got a lot of things going on montana system is is definitely one of the more complicated out there so if anybody wants to discuss it obviously call in to our our tags office and any of us can help guys out with it but that's kind of the let's call the the fifty thousand foot view on that
1: yeah no that's a great explanation um it's one of those things. There's so much that goes on with with the tags and the draws in all the states. Every time I talk to to you or Pollock or any of the guys over there in the tags thing, I'm always I'm always learning myself. So, I mean, I think it's good for anybody that's listening.
2: And we start to walk Montana if we're walking from east to west here. Once you get into the central Montana and and then further west along along the Wyoming Idaho borders that's where you start getting into a lot of the general elk areas so it's easier to draw okay there are some private ranches you're getting into a lot of national forest in that part of the world uh a lot of it is done off horses in there there's some outfitters that do hunt from call it a a lodge and hiking an in but uh, most of the horseback hunting is going to take place uh In Western Montana, tough hunts, very very rewarding. I was able to do a hunt in the Bob Marshall a few years ago. I didn't kill an elk, but I would, I'd go back in a heartbeat again just to, just to be in the country. Yeah, they are the, you know, the the purest form of Western hunting is done out of wall and horses. So. It is something that that I encourage everybody to do at least once in their hunting career.
1: And it's a great I think you nailed it because it's a great experience, right? You got the stove and the wall tent, you got the whole experience of getting the horses ready and heading out. And then you get the hopefully fingers crossed, you get some bugling out going back and forth in the in the timber and so forth.
2: Oh, exactly. And Montana is unique on that western side. A few of the districts open the rifle season September 15th. So you really do get the heart of the rut with a rifle in some of the wilderness areas there, yeah. which it definitely helps success, makes it a lot more appealing to, to chase bugles with a gun. Yeah, no
1: doubt. So when's um, when's the draw deadline for elk? And I should ask, when's, when's the draw deadline for whitetails in Montana too?
2: So they are going to be due at the same time. Every year we're going to be looking about April first okay. for the draw deadline on, on the the elk and deer tags uh, up there. Antelope is going to be late there. They, it's in June every year, and then they have Montana another complication: a, a separate deadline on moose, sheep, and goats as well. So. Montana is a tough state to track in that respect of where you're looking at for for applications, how to manage it all. You've got an April, a May, and a June deadline. It's a lot to stay on top of.
1: Now, do they announce them all at separate times too? Uh, yes, they do. Okay. Yep.
2: They do not release everything at once. You get three different app deadlines and three different, uh, three different release date, post dates as well.
1: Okay. Okay, and I we didn't talk on the whitetail. Like I knew I drew it the first year on the whitetail on the on the private ranches, like where I was hunting. Is that a, is that should be a one year draw to to get it, or is anything going to be changing with that that you could see?
2: So at this moment, guys who are going guided are going to be able to continue to draw yearly. Uh, I believe on the general elk general deer big game combos when you look at the latest statistics in montana with with the update of what they call the outfitter preference point this was enacted i can't remember if it was last year or the year before now on the top of my head but montana allows applicants to purchase a preference point from july 1st through december 31st so the preference point purchasing period is still open today in montana If you were to plan a hunt for next year there, you would absolutely want to get a point today. And then Montana uniquely allows you to buy points prior to applying in 2024. If you are going DIY, you can purchase one point. That would allow you to have two going into the draw. If you're going guided, you can purchase two points prior to applying, which gives you three going into the draw. And all but guarantees your tag i do envision point creep the montana general tags overall demand continues to rise and you see it in the total app numbers and the points needed to draw each year so moving forward it's really going to be two or three points i think to draw that tag
1: okay okay so that's one if you're thinking about it do it now just like just like anything out there if you're thinking about it do it now Let's uh, let's bounce mule deer. What would, Anything with Montana and mule deer?
2: So Montana, like a lot of the West, the mule deer, it, it is not the heyday anymore. Yeah. I don't know of anywhere in the United States where you can sit here and say mule deer are in their heyday in this area. If it's out there, please call me and tell me about it because I'd love to experience. But Montana is, is like much of the West. The deer numbers overall are down different theories exist around that the panic button doesn't need to be pushed but numbers are down for those reasons it makes planning more important than ever you really need to be careful about who you're booking a hunt with or if you're DIYing it know exactly what you're getting into or you're really you know you're putting the odds odds against you for having a quality experience mm-hmm western montana deer numbers are down they that's definitely the portion of the state that is experiencing the harshest of times you get in the central eastern montana where you have the large tracts of private property mule deer numbers are still strong i'm sure you guys saw quite a few mule deer yeah,
1: we during saw, your white hunt. we saw quite a few of for sure yeah and that's still
2: when it comes to quality and quantity Eastern Montana is definitely the place to go in that regard if you're looking to mule deer hunt in Montana. Uh, and something with a lot of these these ranches and areas that's quite nice. Montana's deer tags are good for a buck. You were on a whitetail specific whitetail hunt as we were tracking, getting you down the whitetail slam hunt yep. front. But a lot of guys, if you go to Montana on a mule deer hunt and you happen upon a 160 inch whitetail at least the outfitters i work with they're gonna say would you like to shoot it if you say yes boom you're going after it yep it's good for a buck
1: deer the species is your regardless mm-hmm. that's it's kind of cool to have that in your pocket
2: oh yeah it's always fun i mean personally guiding i've I've had multiple times where I've been guiding mule deer hunters, and we happen into these giant whitetails. And yeah, it's a, it's a little blessing when you can go after either.
1: Yep, yep. Now, in your in your in your experience, what percent of the guys, if they're going after a mule deer, and that's usually how it is, they got a mule deer tag, or think that they're hunting mule deer, and you see a giant whitetail, what percent of the guys go, yep, it is now a whitetail hunt?
2: I uh, I would I would say about twenty percent. Yeah. It's pretty hard to say no when you see that 150 to 165 inch whitetail and not even make a play and give it a try. For yeah. most of us, that'd be one of the bigger bucks we've ever shot. Absolutely. So you never kick that gift horse in the mouth when you can, when you can avoid it. Exactly. Uh, and Montana also lays out well for guys that want to archery hunt mule deer. And it, I always tell guys because archery hunting is. You know, it's a passion for many sportsmen. Mm-hmm. I'm sure guys listen to this. There's a lot of guys listening that are archery only hunters. Yep. When you want to archery hunt, you know, elk, deer, antelope, white mule deer or whitetails, whatever the case is, archery hunting is already difficult. You need to control every controllable possible to increase the odds of success, specifically with mule deer. The odds of getting a shot when you're hunting in a prairie environment like Montana, Eastern Wyoming, Eastern Colorado versus a mountain environment like Western Wyoming, Western Colorado, the pinyon pine deserts of Nevada is so much easier. Some of this topography is absolutely awful to archery hunt in, not saying you can't get it done, it's it is possible, but if you're just looking to experience the highest opportunity, action-packed type hunt for an archer, Montana is a great option because of that September first opening day. The mule deer bucks are on their summer patterns, and they live in country where they are very huntable. Mm-hmm
1: that's a very that's a very good point of, of going and truthfully as I'm breaking down trying to do the the triple threat which is the north America 29 with a rifle muzzle odor and bow right like I'm going to different areas depending on what the weapon is I have I'm not going to the same area when I'm when I'm archery hunting for a species that I'm generally going with a rifle just because of the same thing I need I need different terrain I need I need different seasons I need different odds in my favor
2: oh yeah exactly. That's that's it right there.
1: Yeah. All right, let's move it on. Where do you want to cover? Let's go to Antelope next in Montana. So, notoriously, it's more of an opportunity
2: type of Antelope state. Montana are, puts their Antelope tags out on a bonus point system, just a very similar to the elk, bonus point squared. So you do have the opportunity to draw the first year out of the, out of the gates. A lot of the tags are going to take three to four points to draw tons and tons of antelope up, up in Eastern Montana. And there are some big ones. I held an 86 and change antelope that was shot in Montana this year, and it was sitting next to an 82. They shot in the same five day period on a ranch up there. Wow. There are big goats. But it's a great opportunity. If you are considering a deer hunt or an elk hunt in Montana, say three, four, five years down the road, I would encourage you to start buying antelope points too, because it makes for a really good combo deer hunt or elk hunt, you know, early morning, late afternoon, go antelope hunt during the middle of the day. So I think it's worth it from that combo respect of definitely buy them and put them away. Uh, or start getting them now. Montana does average points. So if you apply for the next 10 years, when your five year old is now 15, you have 10 points. They'll have a few points. You combine them, split them, help get your kids' tags drawn in that respect as well. No doubt. So it's a solid hunt, lots of opportunity. Uh, it's right there with, uh, with a lot of the states in terms of priority. Wyoming's always going to be the number one antelope state, in my opinion, unless a lot changes. But that eastern Montana will rival some of the, the better units in, in Wyoming
1: as well. WTA Tags is a full-service licensing program available to today's sportsmen. Bottom line, they help hunters draw the very best limited-entry big-game tags. They offer professional consultation on where to apply and then properly complete and submit your applications to the states. Tags has the easiest, most reliable, and most complete service to assist you in drawing that tag of a lifetime. For a free Tags consultation, call 1 800 755 8247 or visit them online at worldwide trophy slash tags. That's worldwide trophy adventures. .com/tags. Buck Bourbon has expanded its already amazing lineup of deer attractants to include 110 proof and barrel proof deer blocks. Also, their top shelf food plot seed blends have worked great here in Michigan, and their new distiller cut knives are designed purposely for when the hunt ends and the work begins. Use promo code MVP15 for 15% off your next order at buckbourbon.com. That's mvp15 at buckbourbon.com. No matter where I'm hunting in the world, I'm always wearing my Mindel boots. I guess you could sort of say that I live in my Mindel hunting boots. And right now at MindelUSA.com, you can use promo code MPJOURNEY. And when you order up a pair of your hunting boots, you can get a free pair of hunting socks with them. Again, that's promo code MPJOURNEY at MindelUSA.com. Now back to the journey with Ed. Wow. Okay. Okay, now let's move on to the, the the big ones. I think that everybody would think in in Montana or anywhere, um, the bigger ticket items: uh, sheep, goat, and moose. Which one do you want to talk about first? Oh,
2: I mean, let's talk about the sheep. Okay, who doesn't want to go to Montana and hunt sheep? Yep. Uh, Montana continues their producers. The genetics on those Montana sheep; any unit can throw out a giant ram obviously most of us know about the the breaks areas for the the truly world-class sheep but unless you are just bound and determined to hunt the breaks you know guys need to consider some of these other areas there's really not a quote-unquote bad sheep unit in the state so if you're looking to draw stay out of the breaks units put the odds in your favor and look at some of these other units Montana is a bit tricky in terms of how they allocate the moose, sheep, and goat permits. Changes every year. There's a lot of there's a lot of moving pieces there that can make unit decisions a little difficult. Uh, but regardless, wonderful state for sheep, and they're going to continue to have sheep quotas for non residents for a long time. So if you've got a if you've got a kid in the household that would definitely be a state for them to start applying in for sheep for the long haul.
1: Yeah. I, uh, just like everybody, right. Got the name in the hat, just waiting for mine to get drawn. So I can go to Montana for sheep. <laughs> you and I both, yep. uh,
2: if we, we stay with the mountain game and look at the goats, another you know really solid goat state. Uh, every year there's going to be non-resident quota. It's not a state where I fear that going away. And in today's application world, I think that's one of the worst things is, is when a guy applies for 10 years and all of a sudden the quota is no longer there and you're 10 years invested into this. I cannot see that happening in Montana. The goat numbers are extremely stable. There's lots of different units that have huntable populations, primarily in and around the Yellowstone, north of Yellowstone, is where the majority of the non-resident quota is going to be every year. Mm-hmm. But super high success, quality goats, It it's like the sheep. You need to be in there if it's a species you want to go after in the lower 48.
1: What, like... On the on the goats there, and I'm asking because I'm I'm applied there. I don't know how many points I got. What what's the what's the average for a non-resident? How many how many years applying to draw it? So with the bonus point system, you you couldn't really break
2: it down in that regard. And there's guys drawing the first year out. There's guys drawing after year, you know, fifteen, sixteen, whatever the case is. You see people coming out at all levels. Much of the reason you see guys coming out in that, let's call it, one to five point level Uh is because that is where the largest total number of applicants are. So inevitably, a few guys will get lucky out of that pool each year and draw. But I would say personally, I see a lot of guys in that nine to 12 is where I've had guys draw, call it a coincidence, call it a numeric. I can't say for for absolute, but that's where I do see guys starting to have an increased probability of of actually pulling.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. No, once you once you start playing the odds game, right? It's like it's it's just like gambling or like baseball or like anything. You start putting so many names in the hat and you draw so many, the odds say that that there's gonna be somebody that's drawn with one every year right like there's gonna be a lucky guy that just put in there and gets drawn
2: exactly but i do love Montana's system
1: for moose sheep and goat
2: where i have a chance from year one with an increased probability every year i think that is that's one of the fairer systems across the west for moose sheep and goat Techs.
1: for sure for sure so let's let's talk moose so moose hunting
2: is is not Let's call it what it once was in Montana. Um, depending on who you ask, you get numerous answers. We can all sit here and say wolves have not assisted, nor have the grizzly bears, in moose recruitment across the state. There are still some really good opportunities out there for big bulls in Montana, but it is not a—it's not a one-day hunt. This is—they mm-hmm. are, you know. A lot of these units are averaging seven to 10 days a field for hunters. So I'm still applying for a Montana moose tag. But with that being said, a guy has to be mentally prepared when drawn to commit the time. If you can commit to it and do it correctly, there's high odds of taking a big bull. But it is going to take a commitment in terms of time and effort.
1: So if you look at moose, not just Montana, for a Shirus, where if somebody calls and they're like, give me the give me the top three states for Shirus Moose right now, what are you telling them?
2: Yeah, Montana would land at number three for me. Okay. Uh, and then we've got Colorado and Idaho. The population in Colorado is booming, trophy quality is booming. The the sheer number of tags available is amazing. And They subdivide the quotas in Colorado, which I love, is each unit might have two. There might be two resident tags, one non-resident tag. Mm -hmm. But if there's 20 different units, you subdivide out the applicants that way, and it helps spread things out. So I like that a lot. But Colorado's a state where if you're 60 years old, you have never applied. I would tell you to go to Idaho because it's 100% random each and every year. And within Idaho's units, you have a, an extremely wide range of trophy potential. Northern Idaho in the panhandle, you're gonna shoot a good representative, Shiras. You get into central and southern Idaho, and it it rivals or exceeds what's coming out of Colorado in terms of size. So you can really increase your odds of taking a shy by applying in some of those lesser sought after type units in Idaho and the 100% random draw odds there. So to answer it, I guess, sum it all up, Idaho, Colorado, Montana. Those are my top shy picks. Okay. And then it would be based on, uh, you know, each person's individual priorities and age as to say, if we had to pick two, which two would you pick
1: uh-huh.
2: it? Then it goes into one-off situations.
1: Gotcha. But most of the guys that are applying for Shirus are applying across the board, right? Like that's what I'm, I'm doing. I just, I want my name and as many hats as, as can be. Um, and then hopefully I get drawn somewhere and we'll, we'll figure out the rest after that.
2: Oh, it, exactly. Yeah, you have to you have to throw darts at the wall, and just to get one to stick. You cannot pick one state and pigeonhole yourself if you really want that tag. Just like financial investments, yep. You got to diversify a little bit.
1: Yep. No, that's and on the on the Shire. So where I was hunting with uh, Limmer for for whitetail up there in the mountains. Oh,
2: yeah, in that North Park country.
1: Oh, my goodness. We saw some moose. So I saw, um, he had three hunters in camp, and I saw two of the bulls that they shot, and they were both, I mean, giant Shiris. But we'd go out there, we're glassing for whitetails, right? And we'd probably see just that that area is so low density whitetails. But when you get a, when you get a, there's a good chance of taking an old buck like I did, right? Like that's the reason Scott wanted me to go there. And that's why we went there, but we'd go out and we'd glass up probably 10 to 12 whitetails a morning or an afternoon. We'd, we'd see 40 to 50 moose. I mean, we, we'd see some moose when we were out there. It was ridiculous.
2: Yeah. That portion of Colorado is borderline infested. There's, I read a study not too long. I think it was last year. they They're concerned about certain browse varieties in the western region of Rocky Mountain National Park as the moose have become that overpopulated, which is their bigger conservation story in Colorado's history. Then we have so many moose, we're destroying a certain species of browse. I applaud that. Let's start picking them up with a helicopter and putting them in new
1: places. No joke. I mean, it was, it was, the first night we were out there was the first first day of, of uh, rifle moose season. And it was the first day of whitetail season, right? So we we're there. Um, one of the guys in camp shot a great bull the first morning. So we got to go really what we got over there for. We got to help load it up. That's what we got, all right? We got, we got more guys to help load the moose up because once you get it down, it's all about how do you get it back in the truck. Um, so we got to see that loaded up, and then that afternoon – um, there was another hunter that was there. He was off on the other side. We were glassing for whitetails where we, where we thought the big one was, where eventually three days later I ended up shooting. Um, but it was one of those things. There was a hot cow, and bulls just started coming out of the woodwork the last hour. I mean, they were everywhere, and it was just one of those things. You couldn't get the other hunter down there in time. And it was just like everywhere you turn, there was a bull, right? There were all just, you saw these big meadows. And in that meadow, there would literally be four bulls coming onto this cow and the meadow next to it, a bull was coming over. And it was just one of those, one of those magical days, the nights that you could just sit there and through your spotting scope, you're looking and you're like, man, it doesn't get much better than this. Even though we didn't see a whitetail, right? You're just watching the moose in that area. And then I'm like, instantly I'm messaging Pollock being like, I hope you're applying me in this unit. I better be in this unit. Cause when I draw, I want to be right here.
2: Oh, yeah, those those Shire, I mean, any moose, is, you've hunted enough oh, moose, yeah. they're impressive. Yeah. I, I don't care if it's a Shire, it's Canadian, Alaska, Yukon, regardless, just a super unique animal.
1: Yeah, no, that's, what well, I should have asked you this on goats too, so give me your top three mountain goat states.
2: So again, we're going to have to break it down to circumstances, but top, Alaska, colorado and then idaho or montana you can make an argument for either so Mm -hmm. you know really let's call it four but alaska is always going to be at the top just due to the draw odds you know non-residents have have roughly 25 percent or better draw odds in seven years i've drawn twice in alaska for mountain goats just to give some relativity to that, on I drew both my tags on Kodiak. But there's nowhere you're going to find those kind of draw odds for non-residents. Alaska is 100% random, so each and every year it's equal odds. Idaho also operates in the same sense for their Mountain Goats. There, you're looking at maximum of 3% draw odds. So if you are going to hire an outfitter, irregardless if you draw It behooves you to be applying in a lot of these lower 48 states. If you're only wanting one mature billy and then you're moving on, Mm -hmm. you need to be applying in Alaska. It's the best value and the best draw odds because a goat hunt is not a hunt. You should be kicking down the road for 20 years if you're 45 now. It's not going to get any funner at 65.
1: No, that's a very true. I've been on some mountain goat hunts and that is a very true statement so
2: yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna hire an outfitter look at alaska and do it as soon as possible while you can enjoy it as much as possible if you're a guy who's potentially looking to shoot one in the lower 48 or possibly diy it then montana idaho colorado would be my go-to goat states colorado has has a lot of tags for goats as well and if you're a very engaged archery hunter, there are some archery only tags that come with highly improved draw odds. Obviously, it's a tough hunt. You're you're in some rugged country mm-hmm. with a bow, but they're there. It's just committing the time to go do it.
1: Yep. Yeah. I, I personally I love mountain hunting. I love mountain goat hunting it's just because of how physically and mentally challenging it is. Oh yeah. There's I mean, you watch those those goats get around the shale and you can
2: just sit and stare at them for hours and and wonder how the good lord created them they're they're different
1: and just the areas that they can walk and just so effortlessly cruise across it's amazing it's amazing i, I, I i'm hoping to draw that tag in kodiak one of these years coming up here
2: Oh yeah, go up there, shoot some ducks, shoot a blacktail, do the work.
1: Yeah, I'm really hoping Kodiak safari. I'm actually hoping on an Emperor Goose tag of all the tags in Alaska. I told Pollock I said that would probably be of everything in my portfolio. That is the one. I want that <laughs> one.
2: And it's the most sought after. Yep. I I had a client ask me the other day, what's the hardest tag to get you guys deal with in Alaska? The Emperor Goose. Yeah. He started laughing. He's like, No, really. Yeah, it's the emperor goose. <laughs> and he's you like, know, he's like, I, "Wait, what?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody wants one, so if you want one, it's a long line. But throw your name in the hat; you never know with the hundred percent
1: random draws. That's it. That's why. That's what I got just need to get need to get lucky and have my name pulled out. But because there's no weighted and and so forth, just hopefully not as many people apply this year. We'll see. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, well, perfect. What else about Montana while we're talking? The, the draw is coming up. You said right around April 1st is when the the first one starts. Um, I mean, obviously, you guys are rocking and rolling, getting the tags going. Now Alaska is a couple weeks away. Um, after Alaska, what's the next state that's up? Then we're looking at
2: Wyoming elk, followed by Arizona elk and antelope. And then it's boom, 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 deadlines until, uh, until June 1st it's it's about one a week so we are ramping up heavy right now and for current clients they're getting their renewal notices on their tags portfolios in the mail if you haven't got one it should be in in the mailbox in the next two weeks and we will follow up with an email for for guys it's a little bump too but when you guys get those give our office a call and uh and discuss any potential ideas, changes, ask questions, communicate with your consultant. That is, that's what we're here for. So give us a call. We're always more than happy to talk through things.
1: Yep. And if you've got a, and I can't stress enough what Eric just said right there. If you've got a question, if you think you heard something, um, if you want to apply in in more spots, right? Like it's very common for people when they start applying, like you, you just kind of kind of like cold water, right? You just kind of put your toe in a little bit, see how it is. And then all of a sudden you can put your foot in and, and kind of ease into it. So it's very, very common that we have new clients that start a portfolio and they start small and it continues to grow as, as they get more comfortable with the TAG application. Um, so that's one of those things. If you're applying, even, even for whitetails, if you're applying in Iowa and Kansas. Talk to Eric or the team about other areas for whitetail. Same thing with basically all the species or all the states. If you've got questions, if you've thought about it, ask the question.
2: Oh, exactly right. And if if you're somebody who's never applied before, now's the time. Pick up the phone. Call the WTA TAGS office. Have a conversation with a consultant. You know, in most 99% of the time, we can help you in some form or fashion.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that are... Or I was going to say, if you give it another year, right, because it's a draw, so your odds go better every year. If you kick the can down the road a year, two years, three years, you're just decreasing your odds, right? Get your name in early. Like I say, get your name in early and often, right? Get it in there. Get it as often as I can. And especially if you've got some kids that you can tell are hunters, you got to check out the Kids Apply Free program at WTA um a lot of those places 10 and 12 you can start applying like i i always think back like if i if my dad would have applied me when i was 12 right all the points the tags that i would have been drawn right now in my mid 30s to 40s would have been insane truthfully the tags i would have drawn in my mid 20s right but i if 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 i would have been applied back then i would be drawing the sheep tags right now i would have already drawn the moose the goats all the elk tags. I'd be in in the sheep tags right now in 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 my forties. Which, if you think about that, give your give your kids a a step up and get them applied early.
2: Oh yeah, you can't beat a you can't beat some preference points as a stocking stuffer for the kids.
1: Nope, no, nope. they may not get it now, but and some of the kids do, right? Like I've, I've got, oh. I know some kids that are applying that are just hooked and they actually understand the draw system probably better than a lot of adults.
2: Oh yeah, I've got some of my clients that every time when the draws post, they call me. The little, you know, the boys are bugging me. Did they get anything? I, I got to find out. You know, <laughs> that some of these, once these kids draw one or two, they're they get a fire lit under them, and they'll they'll keep you on your toes
1: when it comes to this. Yep, for sure, for sure. Well, perfect, Eric. Thanks for your time today. I love covering Montana. Thanks again for setting Kevin and I up on that hunt. That was a that was a great one for anybody that's listening. I'm gonna sit down with Kevin and we're gonna talk about that. He's Kevin's actually booked quite a few hunts with WTA this year again. Hopefully his wife's not listening. Um so Kevin <laughs> Kevin did the Montana hunt. He went down to Salt River again. He just just finished up an Ohio hunt. Um he I think he sat of I mean, he was all of about twelve minutes after um, light on the first morning, he shot a good buck. So he's putting a lot of time in the stand, but he's got, he's got that late muzzleloader season down at salt river. And then after he wraps that up, I'm going to sit down with him just talk about his, his whitetail hunting this year.
2: Yeah, we got to get Kevin on an elk hunt. I know he's mad at White Tails, but we'll have to get an elk hunt going in the next couple of years. That's place.
1: that's why he he's he's asking a lot of the questions, right? Like he's like, so uh, how do you do it? Like what do you what do you do on this one? Like if where would you go on your first elk hunt now that you've traveled all over? Type of question. So I'm like, he's there, he's he's ready, but he he had that initial like he just started applying with tags, right? So everybody's initial is like, so I'm applying now. I'll, I'll I'll probably start drawing tags this year then, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's not really how it works. Not really how it works. You gotta, you gotta get your name in the hat, then you can apply at any time. But give it, give it a few years in those elk tags that you're applying for in all those states. Give it five or six years, you're gonna start drawing some tags.
2: Exactly right.
1: Yep. Yep. Well, perfect. Thanks again, Eric. Thanks for all your support and downloads. If you like this episode, please go and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as that always helps. Do you wanna book that hunt of a lifetime? Then give the team at Worldwide Trophy Adventures a call at 1-800-346-8747. Or if you wanna start a tags portfolio for those limited entry tags, call 1-800-755-8247. Enjoy your journey.